0: I've been preaching a series entitled For King and for Kingdom. And today I want to share with you another parable. I've been saying all along that parables are parallels of spiritual principles in the kingdom of God that need to be implemented in our day-to-day lives. In this parable today, I'm actually going to, every couple of verses, break it down and show you how accurate the parable is to realities in the spirit world. People mistake parables to be vague stories that sort of illustrate and eventually get to a point. No. Parables, Jesus makes up the parables That's God in the flesh, and he uses stories that we can understand to illustrate, to parallel a principle that is a reality in the kingdom of God, and he wants us to implement it in our daily lives. The last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, I preached a message, Get Rooted, and I talked about the sower and the four kinds of soil. There was so much in that sermon, I continued it the following week, and the message was called Rocky Thorny and Good Soil. And the point of that parable was that we are the soil. We could be the pathway that doesn't receive seed. We could be the rocky soil that when the word of God comes, we really don't put our all into it. We deal with the things of God on a superficial level, and take the attitude, that's for later, that's for eternity. And our roots get burnt from the sun. They don't go deep. And then there's the thorny ground, the weedy ground. We get caught up with this life. We see this is the big picture. How many of you know this isn't the big picture? This is the prelude to the big picture. Can I get an agreement? How many of you are glad that this isn't the story? Part two is so good. All right. Uh, Last week, I also, while I continued on the parable from the week before, I also introduced another new parable, and that was the fact that the farmer had a fig tree in the middle of a vineyard, and the fig tree didn't produce fruit, and he was saying, well, let's cut it down in the vineyard. Keepers said, Let me dig around it, clear the roots of obstruction, let me fertilize it, and after a year, if it doesn't produce, then you could chop it down. Interestingly, the first parable, the sower and the seed and the soil, you are the soil. I'm constantly having to take rocks out of this paddock, this field, okay? Juliet reminded me that as Americans, you don't say paddock. A paddock is a field that a farmer farms. I have to pull out bitter roots. Stuff happens in my life. I can take offense, and when I take offense, bitter roots grow. And so I have to constantly deal with the soil. So do you. I talk about me so that you don't feel like I'm pointing my finger at you. Most of us are like the rest of us. But in both of these parables, it's about what are you producing? The good soil, some seeds produce 30-fold, some 60, some 100. In the second parable, here's a fig tree that wasn't producing at all, and God is saying, if it doesn't produce even after we attend to it, it's gonna be cut down. So with that in mind, let me stage... The next parable. We're gonna read from Luke 19, verse 11 to 26. And while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And he said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Let me break this down. It's very important that we understand the parallel, what Jesus is saying because it parallels spiritual truths. So here's a noble man born uh, and he goes to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then he returns. This is talking about Jesus Christ coming from heaven, royalty, God in the flesh, came to a distant country, came to earth. And he came to set up the kingdom of God, and he is the king of that kingdom. And then he returns. Now, just to prove that theologically, I'm not putting my own interpretation in there. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures. For example, the book of Revelation starts, and in chapter one, as soon as we get to the fifth verse, and by the way, the book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Most people think that the book of Revelation is a chronological map uh, line to tell us what's gonna happen in the end. More than anything, the book of Revelation reveals that Jesus Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it reveals the triumph that he's going to bring. But nonetheless, let me read Revelations chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of earth. Jesus is telling a parable. A noble band came and went to a distant country to be made king. And then he goes back. I'm setting the stage for the parable so that you will see the parallels with spiritual realities. Are you all with me? Yes. All right. Here's another scripture in Revelation chapter 17. It says, These shall make war with the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God. When John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptized, John said to the people, Behold, this is the Lamb of God. Lambs in Jewish culture were the item of sacrifice. The the blood was shed From an innocent lamb to make atonement for our sins and the things we did wrong. And John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. That was Jesus. And it says here, These will make war with the Lamb, with Jesus. And the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and are chosen and are faithful. Are you with him today? How many of you are with Jesus? The Bible calls you called, chosen, and faithful. Now, if we were to put this understanding and put verse 12 into modern English, it would read like this. He said, the Son of God left heaven, came to earth, to have himself appointed king, and then he will return to heaven again. That sets the stage. The parable is already paralleling spiritual truths. A nobleman went to a distant country to be made king and then return. Verse 13. So he called 10 of his servants, and he gave them Ten minas. Put this to work, he said, until I come back. So this nobleman comes to earth to be made king. He returns, but then he's going to come back. Do you see the parallel? Jesus is coming back again. There were ten servants. I want to stress the word servants. Servants. Because in a minute, he's going to talk about subjects. Those are people who live in that territory, but they're not necessarily servants. He says there are 10 servants, and he has 10 minutes, and he gives them one each. Verse 14, but his subjects hated him. Not the servants, the subjects hated hated him, and sent the delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be king, okay? Every day, people are making a choice whether or not to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus was sharing this parable, but he was actually speaking to Israel as a nation, he knew and he was foretelling through this parable that the religious leaders of the day would not recognize him as their Messiah, the Yeshua, the Savior, the Son of David who was going to come and establish the kingdom of God. The leaders of the nation wanted a physical king who would overthrow the Roman Empire and all the other kingdoms that once ruled over Jerusalem and make them, in the physical sense, a great nation. So the subjects hated him and sent the delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Verse 15, he was made king anyway, and he returned home. When Jesus died and rose again from the grave, he rose from the grave as king of kings and lord of lords. You see, when he went to the belly of hell, that's where he fought for you on a whole nother level. While he was alive on earth, he was fighting for humanity and he was willing to die to set us free from the kingdom of darkness. If Jesus didn't die, you and I would still be subjects of the kingdom of demons and they would legally have the right to torment us. But because Jesus died, we accepted him as our savior and we have been taken out of the control and the influence and the legal jurisdiction of that dark, doomy, gloomy dungeon of demons and we have been brought into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If that gets you excited, come on, put your hands together for Jesus. He fought on this plane and lived his life as a perfect sacrifice and then laid his life down. But when he went to the belly of hell, he went head to head with Lucifer and every demon and he defeated them on their own territory and the Bible says that the spirit of cancer, the spirit of arthritis, the spirit of torment, the spirit of fear. Every demon had to acknowledge that the Son of God was King of kings and Lord of lords. And when he rose from the grave, he rose having taken the crown off of all of those demonic rulers so that you and I would now have a king that is greater And none of those warlords have the right to dominate us. Amen. Amen. As we keep reading, it says, next verse, he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So we just read parables in the last two weeks of a field, your field, seed is sown. Will it produce 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold? Some are fields, and the seed grows, but your concerns and your desire and your keenness to gather as much as you can in this world starts to choke out the life of the seed of God's word. And instead of producing for the kingdom, you get drowned out and choked out by the world. He's looking for soil that reproduces 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. He's looking for fig trees that'll have fruit on them. Here, he calls his servants when he comes back and he says, let me see what you produced. <laughs> the first one came and said, "Sir, your Minna has earned 10 more." Now I'm going to stop for a moment. Minna is a is a measurement. And so you could have a minna of wheat. It's a measurement, a minna of corn. You could have a minna of silver or a minna of gold. It's not a currency, it's a measurement. And so here, uh, the weight or the measurement of a minna is roughly a pound and a quarter in our measurement system. So if we took a minna from That period, it would weigh a pound and a quarter in today's measurements. Let's assume that this nobleman gave each of his servants a minna of gold. On today's current prices on the world market and the price of gold per ounce, a pound and a quarter of gold is $40,000. And so this servant... Was given forty thousand dollars of resources, and when the nobleman returned to earth, he called his servants together and wanted to know what they produced. And this man said, Well, here's your original minna, here's your forty thousand, and here's another four hundred thousand. I produce ten more minas. Pretty incredible. And Jesus says in verse 17, Well done, my good and faithful servant. His master replied. Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, now take charge of ten cities. The second one came and said, Sir, your minna has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. Now, this is where often we read a parable and we see language that we don't understand and we say, well, that's figuratively. The parable isn't really paralleling an exact replica or truth. He's just speaking loosely. And this is where I want to break that religious fallacy because so many times for the mere fact that a parable is meant to parallel a principle of the kingdom of God and be implemented into daily life, the devil wants to sabotage it and put parables in the category of, oh, well, that was just a little story. No, it's not a little story. Jesus is preaching principles. Principles you and I need to understand because the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is now. And as we understand the parables that are principles, we can get our lives into agreement with how the kingdom of God works. Yeah. I want to talk about rewards. One guy is rewarded with 10 cities because he produced 10 minna. Another guy is put in charge of five cities because he reproduced five minna. This is a reward. You've been faithful in little. I'm going to give you opportunity to spread your wings, and uh, I'm going to allow you to be faithful in even more. Now, remember, this parable is paralleling that the nobleman came to earth to be made king, he goes back to his home, and then he returns. So Jesus is saying, this is going to be what, this is what's going to be when he returns. The master wants to know, what did this plot of ground produce for the kingdom? He's invested in you. Every one of us were sinners, every one of us were broken, every one of us were lost, and we came to Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, and God said, no, I'm not going to forgive you, I am going to totally restore you. I'm going to bring you back to what you were meant to be from before the beginning of time and therefore I'm going to wash away your sin, and you will no longer have the title of sinner because I'm going to make you a son. We receive sonship. Amen. Absolutely. But the concept of rewards is a concept that isn't often spoken about in the church. So much so, we almost think, no, that's just... uh, a picture to illustrate a spiritual concept, but it's not really like that. Rewards in that sense won't mean anything to us in heaven. Then why does God use that analogy? To mislead you, to con you, to trick you? Why would he talk about something that isn't a reality when we need to hear realities to get us out in this life. Watch this. I'm gonna read three verses, two of which use the word reward. In each of those verses, a different Greek word is used, but what's gonna be interesting is to see, all right, two verses use the word reward, two different Greek words, what do those Greek words mean? And then I'm gonna read you a third verse where it talks about treasure in heaven, uh, and we're gonna look at what that word treasure means in the Greek. So here's the first verse. In Matthew 16, verse 27, Jesus says, "'For the Son of Man is going to come "'in his Father's glory and with his angels,' And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Now, this is a different chapter, a different sermon. Stop. Jesus is telling us exactly what he's saying in the parable. The son, when the son comes in his father's glory and with the angels, that's the, at the end of this age when Jesus comes again and we are caught up with him, okay? And here, Jesus is saying, when I come back in my father's glory and with my father's angels, then I will reward each person according to what they've done, just like the nobleman. He came here, he was made king, he went home, then he comes back and calls his servants and says, what did you do with what I've invested in you. What have you done with your life? What has your field produced? What did you do with my saving grace? How many of you are getting this? The word reward in this verse is the word apodidomy. It's two Greek words. Apo means to give and didomi means payment, recompense, reward. Payment, recompense, reward. When you get paid your wages at the end of the week, that is recompense for the work and the effort that you put in. You are recompensed. In fact, when you go job hunting, one of the things you want to know is, what is my recompense going to be? What is my hourly rate? How many hours can I work? What are you going to pay me for my life? Jesus is going to ask you, what did you produce for my life? I gave up my life so that you can be a son of God, a child of God, a co-heir with me in eternity. You came to me broken. You came to me a sinner. You came to me totally lost, and I chose to love you I shed my blood and every drop cost me my life. I invested me in you. When I come back, I'm going to ask you, what did you produce with what I put inside of you? Mm. Here's another verse. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10 to 15, by the grace that God has given me, I have laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. The apostle Paul was a teacher of the law. He was a master theologian. And it's interesting that as a Jew, Initially, he was persecuting all these Jews who were running after this new Messiah. In fact, he was so zealous, he was so convinced, he was doing God a favor, he made it his top priority to rid Israel of these fanatics who are chasing after this would-be king. Remember, the religious leaders rejected Jesus, okay? Paul gets a one-on-one visitation from God, and he gets converted. He says, I have laid a good foundation, he says, as a wise builder, but someone else is building on it. Do you know two-thirds of the New Testament is laid out by the Apostle Paul? God took this theologian, a master of Old Testament law, and then Christ revealed himself to him and... Paul, with the giftings that were in him, took the Old Testament and took the revelation of Christ and started translating and he built a bridge from the old to the new. And what he did was he laid a foundation, preaching Christ, he laid a theological foundation for the church of Jesus Christ. We take his epistles, we learn, we read, and we activate. And Paul says he laid a foundation, but others are building on it. You have a foundation in you, it's Jesus Christ, and you have the teachings that Paul has laid out, and you read the word of God, and now you build your life, and you build your life, and you build yours. Alexi, you're building yours Isaac, you're building yours. Every one of us are building on a foundation that the apostle Paul laid. Jesus is the foundation, but Paul gives us the foundation of doctrine and teaching for the church. Now watch this. Each one should build with care. As you devour the word of God, as the word of God is broken down for you here Sunday after Sunday. When you eat it and you regurgitate, what do you do with the energy that that food has brought to your body? Do you sit in front of a video game and play videos for 14 hours? You see, when you eat in the physical sense, it's energy. You eat because your body needs energy, and the question is, with the harvest of the groceries that you consumed in your last meal, your body will convert it to energy. What did you do with that energy? And God's going to say to you, I have given you my word, and you have read it, hopefully, And as you've consumed that meal, what have you done with the energy that that meal has produced in you? Did you get absorbed in the things of the world? Did you lose your focus? Did your retirement and your hedge fund distract you and you became more concerned and more involved with what the world has to offer Do you know that the world is basically a destination on the way to our eternal destination and it wants us to pop in and spend the rest of our time drinking on a bar stool and fussing about life and neglecting the things of God? Hello? Paul said each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, notice it's a capital D, it's talking about an age that time period, not a 24-hour time period. That would be a small letter D. It's a capital D, the day, the day of judgment. There are two judgments that are gonna happen at the end of the age. One judgment you and I will not have to go through, and that is the judgment of whether or not we have eternal life, whether people will go to hell. You and I bypass that judgment because the blood of Jesus on our lives screams, Saved by the blood, amen, not by the bell. The second judgment is a judgment that we present what we have done for the king and for the kingdom. And we will be rewarded accordingly. And so Paul says, if anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though even though only as one escaping through the flames. So Paul's saying, "The foundation is Jesus. What are you building on with your life? If Jesus is the foundation, what kind of house are you building? Are you building a house that's full of worldly cares? Are you building a house that's gonna take care of your retirement here on earth? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things you need will be added unto you. The devil wants us to reverse that, and we seek first our needs, our retirement, our well-being, and if we can, maybe If there's enough energy left over, we'll do something for God. Paul says there's an accounting and there's rewards. This word reward, if we put it up on the screen, is the word misthos. Here's the second Greek word. Reward is used two times in English. But in the Greek, Paul says, you will receive a misthos," And mistos literally means pay, wages, salary, reward, recompense. Wow. You see... Religious spirits try to obscure our minds so that we lose focus on the reality of heaven. And one of the ways we lose the reality of heaven is that we think these things are not realities, they're just vague illustrations. The Apostle Paul makes a comment. He says, The mind of man cannot conceive what God has waiting for him in eternity. No, the mind of man cannot conceive. No ear has heard, no eye has seen. How many of you have ever been on vacation and you went to an exotic uh, vacation spot, uh, just, you know, one of these places that you've always dreamed to go to? Raise your hand. All right. A few more than in the first service. Do you know when you get to the final stage of life, When we get to the restoration of all things, all of earth will be like that holiday destination because the earth will be restored back to one nanosecond before the first Adam destroyed it. And we've been destroying it ever since. Hello, are you with me? Paul says... How you build on the foundation of Jesus. What you do with your life. One day you'll stand before God. Just like Jesus is saying in this parable. God has invested in you. He has invested the life of his son and he has invested the power of his Holy Spirit. Sometimes we fail to really understand the wealth of God that is in us. There is great potential in you. A great price has been paid for each and every one of us. And the nobleman is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And he's going to say, what have you done with your time? What have you done with my blood? What have you done with my precious Holy Spirit? Did you hide your light under a bushel? Well, you're afraid to let people know you're a believer of Jesus Christ. You see a lot of people have a faith. A faith is what you believe. But relationship is what you live. Amen. And too many times as Christians we have a faith but we a relationship is what you live. A faith is what you believe. What are you living? What are you living? You can't live it unless you have a faith. But is your faith just something you believe? Or is it a relationship you're living? I'm living this relationship with Jesus, and i got to tell everyone about him. I've got to talk about him all the time. I want my life to represent Jesus, and I want to live for king and for kingdom. Can I get an agreement here? The third verse that I wanna reference is something Jesus said, and this time he doesn't use the word reward, he uses the word treasure. And in Matthew chapter six, listen, this is Jesus talking. He's not using a parable, he's just speaking straight to the people. In Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. What are treasures on earth? Your what? Your 401K. What's that? Your houses, your jet skis, college tuition, your hedge fund, your retirement program. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You know, I was here at uh, 5:30. I was getting ready to go home yesterday. I was back here at uh, 8 o'clock. Anyway, at 5:30, I'm got my back to the corner. I'm opening the car door, and all of a sudden, I hear the screeching of tires, and I hear the crashing of metal, and then the shattering of glass. And I turn around, and I see two cars had just crashed, and one of them jumped the curb, and Uh, smashed into one of our palm trees out the front. We're good farmers. The roots go deep and wide. And so the palm tree didn't fall over. (laughs) Thank God no one was hurt. I went out to talk to the guys. I called 911. And uh, the guy in the car that hit the palm tree had a brand new vehicle. Destroyed. And when he got out of the car, he was very happy. He was very unhappy. He was so happy that he was telling the guy that hit him that he thought he was number one. And I know that because he raised one finger in the air and let him know you're number one, buddy. Jesus said, "We get so fast and so absorbed in building a life here, where rust will, uh, where where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal." Now watch what he says. One minute he's talking about treasures here. Same context, he's not schizo, he's not all over the place. Same context, watch what he does. He says, instead of building your treasures here, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. The word treasure in the Greek here is the word thesaurus. And what it means, it comes from the Greek word tithemi, a deposit of wealth. Literally and figuratively, it is a treasure. Jesus said, start sending your money up ahead of you. Start pouring rewards into your future. Isn't it interesting that Jesus will come back and say, what did you do with the investment I put into your life? How many of you here are born again? How many of you have asked Jesus into your heart? Look at me. While your hand's up, keep your hand up. If your hand is up, God has invested in you. Alana, he's invested in you. Christian, he has invested in you. He has invested in you. He wants to know what are you going to produce with your life? I want to assure you, you put your hands down now. God has a phenomenal reward package. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and the mind of man cannot conceive. I think the human mind is pretty creative. I think the human mind is very imaginative. Have you ever seen some of those fantastic resorts. Have you ever seen some of the buildings and the architecture in Dubai? Have you ever seen the skyscrapers and the holiday hotels in Singapore? Just amazing. But that's what we do here. We've sent a rover all the way to Mars and it's taking pictures and it's taking video and it's drilling into the rock and collecting samples and it brings stuff back. Guys, the mind of man is, pre- the mind of man is pretty imaginative, pretty creative, pretty out there, and yet God says man's mind can't begin to imagine what I have in store for them in the future. Rewards. It's a concept we don't often talk about in the church. And if we do, we try to spiritualize it. And you know what? We spiritualize it because the devil is a thief. He's got to steal on every level. He doesn't care what he steals. He's just, he's got to steal. It's like a kleptomaniac. They'll, they'll steal a bar of soap even though they've got 10 bars of soap at home. It doesn't matter what they steal. There's just a compulsion to steal. And so the thief wants to steal. If he can't rob you of your salvation, he's gonna re- rob you of your retirement program in, in eternity. If he can't rob you of your salvation, he'll try to rob you of your healing. If he can't rob you of your salvation, he wants to rob you of the opportunity of getting involved in the kingdom of God here and now because he wants you to have as little as possible. He's just a thief. He doesn't steal because of what he can get. He steals because of what he can take away from you. It's not what he can get for himself because anything he steals from you will never be to his benefit. No, this thief is worse than the common thief because he wants to steal from you just so that you go out. He is a tormentor. He is the spirit of misery. He just wants you to lose out. That thief is motivated by envy and jealousy. He doesn't steal because he wants. He steals because he doesn't want you to get. That's the worst kind of thief, wouldn't you agree? All right. I want you to think about in this parable, Jesus said, you produce 10 minna, I'm gonna give you 10 cities. Now this is where lots of times parables we, sit, we come to something like this and we say, whoa, hang on, 10 cities? That's not what heaven's about. We're going to go to heaven and for the rest of eternity, we're going to be in heaven and we're going to just praise God. That's not what the Bible teaches And so we see things like this, and we say, well, that can't be a parallel to a reality. That's where the parable is just a little story invented and made up to bring home some other point. I want you to understand how much a parable parallels realities that are spiritual, that God wants us to get the picture now so that we benefit from the... The principle in the future. Are you hearing me? So watch this. We're going to talk about cities. What does the Bible say? Why would Jesus reward people with cities? Let me set the stage for you. Revelations chapter 21 verse 1 to 4. This is the second and last chapter of the book of Revelation. The devil has been thrown in the lake of fire. The last enemy, the Bible says the last enemy to be dealt with is death. The law of sin and death. The law of entropy. There isn't a thing in this world that left to its own device won't start to deteriorate. Everything, the law, the order of this age is that everything will deteriorate. Unless you keep propping it up, renewing it, repainting it, restoring it. The law, it's a scientific fact, entropy. Energy will degenerate and it will eventually dissipate. Everything breaks down. The last enemy to be dealt with is death. That's the law of sin and death. And God will throw it in hell. Watch this, Revelations 21, verse 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Why is there a first heaven? I thought there was only one. The apostle Paul says, I was caught up into the third heaven. That's where we saw God. The third heaven is where God is. The first heaven is the atmosphere immediately around the earth. Why will he get rid of the first heaven and the earth? It says, a new heaven and a new earth. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You see, we understand the concept of ecology. We understand the problem of pollution. And I'm not going to get into a political debate here, and I'm going to avoid murky waters. But I think we could all agree there is a thing called pollution. How far, how wide, and what effect it actually has, we're not going to debate that here. I'm not even pitching a tent. But I will say that we understand that there is pollution. Do you know that pollution is first a spiritual thing, before it is a physical thing. The Bible says when you study in the Old Testament that every time sin took place, the Bible says that the earth was polluted. In fact, As a city or a people group became more and more sinful, the Bible teaches that their sins rose up into the heavens and became a haunt for demonic activity, and it polluted the earth, and it polluted the heavens. So the policy or the concept of ecology is first a spiritual concept. Because we are spiritually broken and fallen, we not only have polluted the earth spiritually through sin and abominations and the blood of innocent people and the blood of innocent children, but now as people who start from the spirit realm, we pollute the spiritual world, we pollute the spiritual earth, and then we do it physically as well. Sin creates pollution and sin will fill up to the heavens in the book of revelation it talks about the city of babylon falling and it says her sins have filled the heavens the first heavens immediately around the earth is where demons habitate jesus referred to satan and he said the prince of this world, the prince of the air is coming you see, earth has been so polluted spiritually through the taking of innocent lives, the taking of life in general, through lies, through deceit, through the breaking of God's laws. It's not just sin. When God sees, he sees a haze over the earth. And it's not the brown haze of human pollution. It's the haze of sin. Hello? Hello? And so there will be a new earth and the first heaven will pass away and there'll be a new heaven. You see, the blood of Jesus is going to restore everything that became broken through the fall of the first Adam. When salvation reaches its completion, you are saved right now. You're going to Your sins are forgiven, and you are going to have an eternity with God. But salvation in God's concept isn't just the forgiving of your sins. Salvation in God's concept is restoring everything that was broken and messed up by the fall of the first Adam. Jesus talks about the renewal of all things. He talks about the restoration of all things. Our salvation is made complete When Jesus comes back and a new heaven and a new earth is made, and this place is absolutely transformed. How many of you are coming back for part two? (laughs) Death won't be here. Decay won't be here. Nothing will break down. Your body won't age. Aging is part of the death process. Arthritis won't be here. Yay. Rigor mortis won't be here. Yay. No more sorrow, no more tears, no more heartache. The lion will lay down with the lamb. A child will be able to play at a cobra's nest and there'll never be fear of being bit. Why? Because the disorder of the demonic world has been replaced by the divine order of God's world. All of earth will come back into harmony with the intention of the creator. How it was before the fall, it will be at the end. And that is the complete picture of salvation. You know, the Bible says that when we are resurrected, your body will be raised from the grave, and it says you will receive a glorified body. That's part of your salvation. You see, we talk about salvation only as the forgiveness of sin and getting a ticket to heaven. But every time you get healed, you're saved. Every time you're in a crisis and you cry out to God, your Savior comes and He intervenes in your crisis. He's a Savior and He rescued you. He saves you. God's concept of salvation is complete. It touches every aspect of who we are and every area of our life. And so in the resurrection, your body, which was sown in corruptibility, will be raised up in incorruptibility. Paul says, when you are resurrected from the grave, you will have the same kind of body Jesus had when he rose from the grave. When Jesus rose from the grave, he sat at a table with the disciples and he broke bread. And then he got up and he walked through a wall. Do you know why? When everything is restored back to before the fall, the laws of nature and the laws of this earth don't constrain the sons of God. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Man wasn't made for the laws of the earth to rule him. Man was made to rule the earth. And so we will be given back a body that won't have limitations that the earth has on us right now. You will be an amazing creature. You will be an amazing representation of God himself. Hallelujah. Pretty awesome. This salvation goes beyond just my sins being forgiven. I am gonna inherit a whole new world and the Bible says there will be a new order. Why? Because the old order of things will have passed away. Death, destruction, sorrow, uh, pestilence, uh, harassment, uh, mind distress, all of those things will be gone, and we will live in the world that God always intended for His creation. Man, if you think that's somewhere to invest in, put your hands together and give the Lord a clap. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain for the old order of things has passed away. Demonic disorder will be thrown in the lake of fire and divine order will come back to the earth The earth will be made renewed. I don't have time to prove it from the Greek or from Scripture, theologically, but the earth will be totally regenerated. It will be made new. And the first heavens that were polluted by human sin and by demonic activity will be wiped clean, and the heavens, the cosmos around the earth, will be sanctified. It'll have a clean smell again. Watch this. The first heaven and the third heaven will reunite the way they were before the fall. If you read your Bible in the book of Genesis, it was normal for God to walk in the garden in the cool of the day. When Adam and Eve heard him coming, it wasn't a strange sound. It wasn't a new sound. It was a familiar sound. You see, the the heavens were once united, but sin will separate. And as the earth and the first heavens became polluted, God had to take his holy presence and distance it. But in Revelation 21, at the end of all ages, when our salvation is complete, even the Jerusalem that was supposed to be a new Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that was always supposed to be will come down out of heaven and will plant itself and it'll be bigger and wider and better than the present Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem is 100, uh, no, not 100. 1,500 miles wide, 1,500 miles long and 1,500 miles high. The new Jerusalem will come back to earth and God will dwell on the earth. Watch this, same chapter, chapter 21, verse 22 to 26. And John's looking at all this. He's watching the video from the future. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. The city doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the lamb is its lamp. Now watch, listen. The nations will walk by its light. Nations are going to be restored. Not only will the earth be restored, nations will be restored. What's your nationality, Candy? Spain. You're Spanish from Spain. The nation of Spain will be brought back to its original design and destiny before fallen man messed it up. There will be a Spain. It says the nations will walk by its light. What's your nationality, Cajon? Dutch. You're Dutch. So your nation and your people group, everyone look at me. Do you know that God is the God of diversity? It was always his design for all of these nations to exist, all these different shades of color, how demons work in our brains and try to make us think that one shade is better than another shade. It is an absolute lie. It is an absolute fallacy. It is a, 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 a doctrine that comes from the pit of hell. The Bible says that nations will walk by its light. You as a people group are so important and your heritage is so important that God wants to save your people group. God wants to save the geographical location of your nation. He wants to revive and restore your culture and wants to bring it back into divine order. Somebody say, what a great idea. There's going to be Italians. There's going to be Irish people. There's going to be Arab people, Indian people. Every tongue, every tribe, and every nation will worship Jesus Christ as King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's hear a little bit of it right now. But it says the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. They're gonna be kings of nations. And if they're kings, they're gonna be mayors and different levels of leadership to govern the people. And it says the kings will bring the splendor of their nation into the temple. If you read Isaiah chapter 60, it almost parallels Revelation 21. You should read the two of them side by side. Because in Isaiah 60, he says, In the new Zion, the Lord will fill the city with his light, and there'll be no need for the moon and the sun. In Revelation 21, it says the gates of the city will be open day and night and kings from around the world will bring the produce of their nations into the temple and lay it at God's feet as an act of worship. In Isaiah chapter 60, it talks about how the cedars of Lebanon will be escorted into the city that never closes that is always open and they will lay cedar on the, down before the feet of the king of kings and lord of lords. Look at me for a moment. When God spoke to Moses in the wilderness, he said, I want you to set up a tabernacle. It's a pattern of things that are in heaven. And I, I'm gonna teach you worship. I'm gonna teach you lifestyle." I want you to write this down and teach the people this because everything I'm teaching you is a pattern of things to come. And so, in the law that Moses wrote, he describes a pattern of worship where people brought a tithe. One tenth, every tenth lamb was brought to the temple, every tenth cow was brought, calf was brought to the temple, every tenth goat was brought to the temple. They would bring the first fruit of their tomatoes, the first fruit of their grain. They would bring the first fruit of their vineyards and they would bring it to the temple. And it was an act of worship. It was an act of worship. And here in Revelations 21, at the end of the age, we're going to see people groups coming into the new Jerusalem, 1,500 miles squared and 1,500 miles high. Do you know 1,500 miles goes into the first heavens? Fills the atmosphere. And God will fill the earth and the first heavens. The third heaven and the first heaven will become one. And people groups, your culture will come and worship God. I love the fact that God loves your culture. I love the fact that God loves your origins. I love the fact demons hate your origins. That's why we we fight nation against nation. But in the new Jerusalem and on the new earth... Nations will be governed by Jesus Christ and there will be tremendous harmony. What an amazing world that would be. Won't it be great to turn on the news in the new earth and the news broadcaster will say, well, today was filled with another wonderful day. (laughs) And they will tell us one good piece of news after another, after another, after another. That alone would make this heaven right now. But watch, I want you to see something as I conclude here. It says, the nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will the gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought into the holy city. Do you know that when we come back to a world without sin, people are going to be bringing the produce of their lives and kings will bring the produce of their nations and that wealth will be channeled into the temple. Wealth, look at me, wealth was always meant to be a vehicle of worship. And Satan perverted it and polluted it. And when money and material things push God out of our lives, we are worshiping another God. Are you hearing me? They're gonna be nations, they're gonna be cities, they're gonna be regions, they're gonna be tribes, they're gonna be cultural groups. Now, let's take this back to the parable. Jesus said when he comes back, he's going to gather up his servants. And he's going to say, what did your plot of land produce? What did you do for king and for kingdom? And then based on our work and what we've done, he will reward us. And he says, you take charge of 10 cities. You take charge of five cities. The parable ends with the picture of another servant. Verse 20, then another servant came and said, Sir, here's your minna. I kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you didn't sow. The word hard here is the word "austeros," and it means harsh, severe, grim, strict, exacting, and rigid. You see that description? That's the description that a religious spirit has of God. If you're legalistic, this is how you see God. He's harsh, he's severe, he's grim, he's strict, he's exacting, and he is rigid. This man said, Master, my perception of you is that you're harsh. The devil is constantly messing with church doctrine and trying to present God as a God who's waiting for you to mess up, screw up, so he can beat the bejeebas out of you. <laughs> i got to choose my words carefully. The thief wants to steal from you the real image of what God is like. Somebody who's harsh, somebody who's strict, someone who's grim. If in your mind, if that's your perception of God, are you going to want to run to him the first time you make a mistake? No, you're not. See, it's part of a demonic plan. If the devil can get you to trip, he sure doesn't want you to run back to your father. So he fills that religious mind with pictures of God that says God is angry at you now. Oh my goodness, you screwed up. What a mess. God is gonna get you. No. This servant had the nobleman invest in his life and he had a wrong picture of the nobleman. And you know what the nobleman said? Watch this. His master replied, I am gonna judge you By your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I'm a hard man? That's how you perceive me? I will judge you based on how you have judged me. You see, this servant said, I know you reap where you don't sow. You make things happen. He recognized the miraculous aspect of his master but he couldn't believe that that master would allow his miraculous power to work in his own life. God's calling you to service for king and for kingdom. Brian, Tina, Elena, Lewis, every one of us Jesus is coming back. And Jesus wants to give us rewards. Paul says, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. He's a rewarder. What a happy picture. What a good picture. God wants to bless us over and over and over again. That's why Paul says the mind of man can't conceive. The eye has never seen, the ear has never heard. Even what we've written down in the book, Paul is saying barely scratches the surface. You are gonna be brought back to the renewal of all things and you will finally live the picture that God always intended. A world without war, a world without broken relationships, a world without disappointment, a world where there's a change of order and the disorder of demons will be exchanged and the divine order of God will fill the earth. Praise God. Who wants to be there? Listen to me as I close this morning. Jesus has invested in your life. What have you invested in the kingdom of God? Hear me, I'm going to say it again. Jesus has invested in your life. If you're born again, put your hand up. Repeat after me. Keep your hand up. Jesus Jesus. has has invested in me. Now put your hand down. The point of this message is when he returns, he will say, What have you invested in my kingdom? I want to tell you, (laughs) don't be afraid. Jesus said, seek first my kingdom and all the stuff you need will be added unto you. As you make God's business your business, God will make your business his business. (laughs) Amen. when we invest in the kingdom of God with our time, what am I saying? Be a witness everywhere you go. Amen. Be a preacher. Amen. You don't have to know scripture. Tell your story. Tell your story. Tell your, has Jesus done anything for you? Tell your story. Tell your story. The more we tell our story, the more we share the gospel, the more we serve in the church, the more we we work together, the more we bring the tithes and the offering, the more that we invest in the kingdom of God, the more God will give back to us, press down, shake it together, and running out all over the place. Amen. I want you to stand with me. Jesus said this when he was getting ready to leave. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. He didn't say many rooms. He said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. I've wanted the life of the rich here on earth. I didn't get there. always dreamed of living in a mansion. mansion. I don't care. I am sowing seed into a world that will last forever. You could do that for me afterwards. (laughs) I'm sowing seed in a world that will last forever. And in my father's house, there are many mansions. Praise God. He's invested in you. He's coming back. And he's saying, I put $40,000 worth of resources in you. What are you producing with the field of your life? What are you producing for the kingdom of God? Church, as we close this morning, I want you to know, in this world, we lose our hedge funds. The economy gets destroyed. Banks have to be bailed out. Everything we planned for and hoped for, somehow, like breath, it leaves us and you can't catch it back again. But when we live for the kingdom of God, you're living for something that will be forever. We actually build our present lives on the word of someone who promised this investment will take care of you in your old age. And on the words of an institution, on the motivation of a salesman who will gain a profit by selling you. We build our futures on the words of men. Why don't we build our eternal future on the word of God? Yes. This life is short. And I know that God wants to bless me in this life. He said He will. He said He will. And He does. As we sow ourselves into his world, God will always sow himself back into our world. So there are rewards. And we're not going to just stand around the throne for the rest of eternity. He's going to come back, make a new heaven and a new earth, wash it completely with his blood, breathe on it again with the spirit of life, The Jerusalem that was always meant to be will come back to earth in the same way God used to walk in the cool of the day in the garden. God will walk amongst us. Nations, people groups, cultures will be restored. Jesus is the king of kings on earth. We will see the life we were always meant to live and we will get to live it in the last chapter. But the beautiful thing about the last chapter is the last chapter is forever. In a book, the last chapter is the end. In God's book, the last chapter is forever. Close your eyes with me. Listen, this is the most important point. Listen, if you don't ask Jesus Christ into your heart, you're like the people who said to the nobleman, we don't want you to be king. Your present life might be a mess, granted. God wants to step into your mess and he wants to live with you and take you out of your mess. It's not about going to church. It's about asking this Jesus who cares about you enough that he died for you. It's about asking him, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you in my life. That's the first step. God loves you. We have a way of screwing up our lives and God has a way of fixing up our lives. Every one of us have probably made messes at times in our life. God is the author and the perfecter of our lives. He's the (laughs) fixer-upper. While every eye is closed, you need that fixer-upper in your life. You're in trouble. You're in turmoil. You're in conflict. Your life is a mess. Step one, open your heart. Don't be the ground that doesn't receive the soil. Come on. Open your heart. It's time to say yes to Jesus Christ. If you have never asked Christ into your heart, while every eye is closed, be a person of conviction for a change. Don't care what everybody else thinks. Put your hand up and say, I want to accept Jesus Christ. Come on, right now. Thank you. I see that hand. God bless you. You can put it down. Who else wants to say yes to Jesus today? He died for you. He wants to live with you. If you've never done that, come on. This lady here has raised her hand. What about you? Are you going to accept Christ? I'm not talking about joining this church. I'm talking about joining Jesus. If you've never done that, he wants to live with you. Would you raise your hand? Okay. I want you, ma'am, to repeat this prayer with me, and everyone, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring. Thank you for dying for me. Jesus Christ i accept your love i accept your gift of life come into my life today and from this moment forward live in me and live with me forgive me for all of my mistakes jesus i accept you Because you've already accepted me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for receiving me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you put your hands together for that lady who accepted Christ today also. Awesome. To the rest of the church, what's the takeaway from this message? So easy to get caught up in the things of the world. If we get caught up in the things of God, God is a rewarder. He will reward us far better than your present employer. He has a retirement package that goes on and on and on forever. You know, Jesus actually said, prepare for yourself a purse. In those days, they had leather pouches. As men, we have wallets. As women, you've got Gucci handbags. He said, prepare for yourself a purse, a handbag, a wallet that'll never wear out. That's God's intention. He wants to give you a retirement package, not when you're old and you can't enjoy it. He's going to renew your body, glorify it, and then give you a retirement package while you have energy, while you have life, for eternity. I challenge you today. Don't live for yourself. Live for King and for his kingdom. Can I get an agreement? Amen.